This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Well, today I'd like to call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. And when you find it, would you please stand? Verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saint? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you... Are you incompetent to be trivial a case, cases, trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angry? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to you of shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to, to law against brother, and that before unbelievers to have lawsuit at all with one another is already default for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But, but you yourself wrong and defraud even your own brother. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such we are some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Father, we love you, and Lord, um, we acknowledge, as your word declares, Father, that such was some of us, such were we, that is, we too were children of wrath, children of disobedience. And we are who we are now in Christ because of Your grace. Not because we deserve Your favor, but simply because it's Your good pleasure to bestow it. Father, we pray, keep these truths before us. So that in this sense, Lord, may we say like David, may we pray like David, that our sin is always before us. That is, that we don't forget where we've come from. So that we may have some understanding of the magnitude of Your grace and mercy. And so that through it all, Lord, uh, Your name is exalted, praised. Thank You for Your Word. Now we pray. Open our understanding. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
can be seated. <clears throat> Amen. If you're a believer today, and, and I, I don't just mean mental assent. You know, when we say the word believer, we're talking about a follower of Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's a, an active day-by-day pursuit of the Lord and active movement from the world and sin. And if you're a believer today, then you know what it means when you hear phrases like the song earlier, the old man is dead. Right? The old man is dead. <laughs> there's, there's a then... And there's a now for the believer. There's a before and an after. It's like those dish soap commercials you watch, you know, the, the before and the after or something like that, where they do the, the comparison or, or, you know, maybe the, the guys in the muscle magazines, you know, they sell, they sell you products and this is what you can look like. Here's the before and the wimpy guy and then... Here's the after, after you take their vitamins or protein drink or whatever it is. There's a, there's a strong contrast. And that's the way it is in truth for the believer. Now, you can't believe all of those ads and magazines and on TV, but you can know this, the contrast that the Word of God describes for the believer from the old life and the new life is true. There's a then and a now. A before and an after. Sometimes we have an identity crisis. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, this modern problem we have with our credit cards, you know, identity theft. It's almost like you wake up and someone has stolen your identity. And you forget Hopefully just momentarily, but you forget who you are in Christ. You forget what you are. You forget about the new man, and somehow it's, it's as though the old man is resurrected. And that's why I use the terminology that I use, because the, the truth is not that the old man is resurrected. It's just that there is, again, an identity crisis. Now, we, I think that's what we see here in the book of Corinthians. and I've, I've said this several times, so one, one reason I, I'm, I'm taking this approach is because when Paul opens up this letter, he acts as though he's talking to genuine people. Believers, And I think that's because he believed that he was. And even if there was some doubt in his mind as to whether or not there, that was the case, he's, he's opening the door for that. He's leaving the door open for that. He's, he doesn't come to them saying, look, I thought you people were born again. I thought you people were believers. It's obvious now that you're not. And so we, we've got to go back to square one. You need to be saved. That may, be, may have been true of some of them. But that's not how he approaches them. 
It's not how the Holy Spirit... And, and it's interesting to note that. I mean, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. That's not how the Holy Spirit approaches them. He refers to them as being called, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. That's chapter 1, verse 2. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He's acknowledging what he believes to be a fact that God imparted grace to them. Grace was given them in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, I thank God that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, Paul says. This is not a blind hope. Paul says, I've, I've seen, I was there, I saw the confirmation of the testimony of Christ in you. And he says, I'm thankful to God in chapter 1, verse 7, that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. It's going to be important to remember, especially as we move into chapters 12, 13, and 14. Paul's thanking God for them and for the gifts that God has endowed them with. He believes them, it seems to me, to be genuine believers. But then, when he begins to outline the different problems, their, their rejection of him and of his ministry, and their personality-driven schisms. Some say, I'm of Paul. Some say, I'm of Apollos. Some say, I'm of Cephas. And the blatant sin that they're allowing, sexual immorality that we discussed last week in chapter 5. When he, when he begins to lay all of those things out and describe what's going on in this church, you think, <laughs> who was Paul talking to in chapter 1? Are these the same people? Same people. But they seem to really have an identity crisis. Somehow they've lost sight, or um, if we want to be a little more positive about it, they are losing sight. They're losing sight of who they are in Christ, what it, what it means to be a, an heir, joint heir with Christ, what it means to be a kingdom child, a child of God. Somehow they've lost sight of that or are losing sight of that. And Paul is calling them back. Again, it's like, not that it happened this suddenly, but uh, it's like they woke up one morning and someone had stolen the, the, the new man and replaced him with the old. And they've reverted back in their thinking and in their manner of life. They've reverted back to the former life. That is, they're they are doing things that are not consistent with the testimony of Christ, but they are doing things that are consistent with the former life. In fact, Paul says, these things belong to your former life. There's an inconsistency here. Your tolerance of sin, your schisms, your, your pride, your arrogance, all of these things, Paul says, belong to the former life. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't fit with who you are now. 
It's unattractive. That's putting it mildly. You know, this morning, um, Jordan came to uh, Leslie. I'm not sure why she didn't ask me, but she came to Leslie to see if all of her clothes matched, you know. And, uh, you know, she, she said, well, take the hat off because it doesn't go with your shirt or change shirts. And the idea is that, you know, just something's out of whack. It doesn't look right. It doesn't, that doesn't go together. It's not attractive. And, and of course, you know, you, you can, even with dress, right? I mean, you can just get downright gaudy and offensive. That's what Paul is saying. Your, your, your behavior is offensive and it, it, it doesn't match the reality of who you are. And he begins to outline some more of the problems, uh, the ways that this is manifesting, the way that the old life is creeping back in among the church. And, and I want to note again this morning in, in this passage, we, we did this, uh, I pointed this out in chapter 5 as well. While Paul talks about specific sin, at least especially in these first few verses, that is, is obviously some specific individual or, or pair of individuals who are going to court against each other, he, he nevertheless targets his, his, uh, his complaint or his indictment at the whole church. He says, I speak this to your shame. In other words, you, the church, are allowing this in your midst. If you were in Sunday school, you know, we were, we were talking uh, some about covenant community. And so, this is, this is a part of that, right? I mean, we, we are responsible for one another. And so, Paul, again, is, is expressing his shock, just like he did in chapter 5. He's expressing his shock with the church, the assembly, the congregation, because they're allowing this kind of behavior to go on. I already made mention of it, but the first thing that he deals with here is believers going to court against each other. Now, this, this, is, this is part of the, part of the identity crisis. This, this exposes um, mixed up priorities. This, this, this so reminds me of our, our present day... <laughs> um, Quote, I've got rights, unquote, mentality. And that seems to trump everything, right? I've got rights, and it doesn't, doesn't matter um, what else might be at play. The point is, I've got rights, and that's kind of what's going on here. Look at verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, just a little... Um, description there, what's taking place. It would be like us um, having a disagreement here. Um, you know, I don't like, um, I, I could say, um, I, I don't like the, the, the paint that Brother Ron picked out. And, and you know what? I've got a friend, uh, uh, and I'll just call Norman and, and, uh, and file a lawsuit. <laughs> 
I'm not going to do that, brother, but uh, you may have already beat me to him. He knows Norman, too. So, um, But uh, that, it would be sort of like that. I mean, I'm just using a ridiculous example. But then again, the whole thing is ridiculous. That's what Paul is saying, that they would, whatever the reason is, you, you've got a disagreement, and he doesn't give us the details, but you've got a disagreement among believers, and you're going to take that to a court, a, a civil court. In other words, as he says here, you're going to take your problem, a problem within the church, within the kingdom, you're, you're going to take that problem to unbelievers to settle. Not that we shouldn't respect the courts, and not that um, there's not a, a, a place for that kind of thing at times, but but the issue here is it's the problem is between believers. What Paul is saying, you ought to be able to work this out. Both of you are in Christ. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. You're parts, we're going to see later on, you're parts of the same body. You're members of the same body. So so you don't you don't settle these matters before people outside the family, the family ought to be able to take care of this, is what Paul is saying. That's what he's describing in verse 1. You have a grievance, a grievance against another. Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous? That is just unsaved people out, out in the world. Instead of the saints, the church. In other words, the church should handle this. Now, Paul lives... Paul lives a, 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 an eschatological framework. Eschatological refer, referring to the end times, right? Where we're going. Now, Paul lives from that viewpoint. So, when he's dealing with everyday situations, whether it's a, a problem in the congregation, or uh, whether it's you know being beaten with rods or, or, or stoned or something like that, whatever the circumstance... Paul is facing, he has learned to live with our final destination in view. Where are we going? And that's what he appeals to in verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now, what he's trying to do is show how ridiculous this is. You've got a problem in the congregation, and instead of handling it, in a godly way, among family members, you're, you're going to take it to the very people for, for their judgment. You're going to take it to the very people that we're going to wind up judging in the end. <laughs> he's, he's saying something's ludicrous about that. doesn't make sense. And if... The world is to be judged by you. Are you incompetent to try trivial cases? You're going to wind up judging the world. Now, don't ask me to go into a lot of detail there, because I think I would have to engage in a lot of speculation, and I'm going to refrain from that, although it might be fun. But, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll refrain from that. But in some sense... According to Paul here, according to the Holy Spirit, we're going to be judging the world and even angels, he goes on to say. That may not mean anything more than just um, being present when the Lord Jesus passes judgment. Um, But in some sense, 
we will judge the world. And, and, and by the way, Jesus does speak of uh, to the twelve uh, uh, as sitting on thrones, um, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And again, I don't, I don't know how all that's going to play out, how all it's going to work out. If, if you do, um, fill me in afterwards. Um, but I, I, I don't know how all that's going to work out. But in some sense, Paul is saying, you're going to judge the world, so it doesn't make sense for you to be going to them to, to get a judgment concerning family matters. They're not even in the family. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? That's interesting, isn't it? Even though, we've said this a lot of times too, but it's, it's important that we keep it in, in the, kind of in the front there of our minds. We live as, as children of the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, we live, uh, we're living out an already and not yet scenario. I mean, there's some aspects of kingdom life and of, of salvation that we can talk about as already. I mean, in one sense, when we say we're saved, that's already, right? I mean, if you've been born again, you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're following hard after Christ. Then, then you know, and you've probably said this many times, I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved. That's already. There's another sense in which it's not yet. And I'm reminded of that every time I have a body ache, for example. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, talk about lost identity. I mean, I look in the mirror and I think, who is that? You know, it's not, not even this, not the guy that I know. You know, it's not, I mean... So Paul is saying, look, and it's interesting because judging the world is part of the not yet. Judging angels is part of the not yet. Nevertheless, he's saying it has a bearing on how we live right now. So uh, he says, you who are are going to judge the world... If the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? In other words, since that is our destiny, since that is where we're going, that, that has implications for us now. The future, and that's again, this is how Paul lives, the future has direct implications on the present. Those two things are not entirely separate. That's why we have passages that tell us things like, you know, we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Well, when's the last time you've been to the heavenlies? <laughs> well, in one sense you haven't been, but in another sense you're there. Christ is our head. He's there. We're seated in the heavenlies with Christ, right? So, Paul says, you're going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. So, how can you be incompetent to handle these little trivial cases here? Your, your final destination means something for your present. Verse 3, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? That's what I've been referring to. Uh, again, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but I'm sure Paul is referring uh, probably there to fallen angels and it has something um, regarding the judgment day in view there. So, so this is the case. We're going to judge the world. We're going to judge angels. 
And again in verse 3, how much more then matters pertaining to this life? If we're going to do that, we ought to be able to do this, is what Paul is arguing. And you might, again, you might say, well, that doesn't seem like a fair argument because a lot's going to change before we do that. You know, we're not glorified, then we'll be glorified. Um, so, um, it, it's, it's, there's going to be a lot of differences. Nevertheless, Paul says, our final destination has profound implications for our present. If you're going to do that, if you're called to do that, then you ought to be able to do this. If you're going to judge the world and judge angels, then you ought to be able to handle trivial matters within the congregation without going to the court outside of the church. And then he says in verse Verse 4, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Again, he's talking about unbelievers. Why in the world would you take church matters before unbelievers? You can already see um, with these questions that, that Paul is firing at them and the facts that he's giving them, you, you, you can already hear the, the shock in his voice, you know, and the, and the frustration. And so then now he just says it plainly in verse 5. I say this to your shame. I say this to your shame. This is shameful that you cannot handle your own matters, Paul is saying. Can it be, again, verse 5. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Now note his wording there because... What is it that they've been pursuing and, and claiming and seeking after so hard? Wisdom, right? They're in love with wisdom, the wisdom of the world. They're so wise in their own esteem that they have set themselves above Paul. And they see Paul as foolish and his gospel as foolishness because they are wise. So Paul is using some sarcasm here and he says, can it be, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to, dis- to settle a dispute between brothers? With all of your wisdom, you, you can't even settle a dispute among believers without taking it before the courts of the world. Can that, can that actually be the case, Paul says? Where's your, where's your wisdom that you boast, that you boast of? In verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why is that? That's pretty tough, isn't it? This, Paul says you're already, to even be going this route, you're, you're defeated. This is already a defeat for you. You think you're strong. Remember, we saw that earlier. You think you're strong. We're weak. You think you reign already? Well, I'm, I'm telling you, the reality is your actions, your behavior, your thinking shows that you're really defeated. How so? Well, again, the, the identity crisis is expressing itself. They, they don't understand who they are. We, we watch this... Um, 
we're always a good, um, almost always, you know, pretty far behind on the movies, you know. So a lot of times if, if you hear me talk about a movie, you can figure it's been out at least four or five years probably. Um, but um, we watched this movie a while back, um, The Blind Side. And uh, <clears throat> this, this kid that they called Big Mike in the movie, um, they thought, you know, he had some like learning disabilities or whatever. And, and they would score him and evaluate him and, and just kind of kind of view him as dumb or whatever. <clears throat> and one of the, in which they were wrong about and was shown later. But one of the things that they were saying he scored really high on when he was evaluated was um, protective instinct. In other words, he, he, he would just automatically kind of, you know, just protect family members and Friends, he 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 just like it was just built in protective instinct, and and I you know Leslie knows a lot more about those tests than I do, and I looked at her and I said, do they really have, how do they evaluate you for that? You know, and she's like, I don't know if they really do that. <laughs> May have just been a thing to make it work in the movie, but but it was interesting nonetheless. You know, they 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 showed how that played out in the movie. You know, car wreck, he protects a little kid. On the football field, his uh, his new sort of uh, um, adopted mother, you know, had to had to tell him, "Look, you gotta you gotta pretend the the quarterback is your brother, you know, and and uh, pretend this guy's your your mother and this guy's your father." And and when he got that in his head, man, he was he was uh, he was doing some serious blocking because he knew what it meant to protect family. He had such a strong protective instinct. Now, that's kind of built into the new man also. What I, what I mean is this. What, part of what comes, <clears throat> comes with regeneration is a, a genuine love for the brothers. John says, we know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. So, we just got, I mean, we can call it instinct. It's really the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we've got the Holy Spirit working in us. That, that produces a love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 5, right? It's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and Paul is saying, just the opposite is happening here. <laughs> You're, not only are you not looking out for one another, but you got each other by the throat. I mean, you're, you're going at each other. And they're going at him, too. We've already seen that. And so there's no Holy Spirit-driven protective instinct for the family of God. In other words, the new man has this in view. The glory of God and the welfare of brothers and sisters in Christ. Or you could just say... Really, you could just say the welfare of your fellow man, because we even we have the welfare of those outside the church in view too. We want to see them saved, but especially brothers and sisters in Christ. So part of the new identity is to live for the benefit of other people. That's not what's happening here. This, this is the, it's all about me. This is the I've got rights movement like we have today. Who are you, who are you to defraud me? 
Who are you to do me wrong? I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll sue you. I'll take you to court. Because I've got rights. And Paul comes back to that attitude and says, that's, that's a defeat. That's a defeat for you already. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Well, we've already answered that why not, haven't we? Because I've got rights. Because I'm somebody. And I deserve better. And Paul is saying, no, you're supposed to be dead. The old man is dead. And the new man is created in the image of Christ. And Christ lays down His life for His friends. Jesus hangs on the cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So there's that inconsistency. Paul, Paul's saying, you've got this I've got rights mentality. Nobody's going to hurt me and get away with it. And I'm going to, I'm going to have my say. I'm going to have my way. I'm going to be vindicated. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves, Paul says, wrong and defraud even your own Brothers. Verse 9. Or do you not know... Now, he's he's going to um, really strengthen this contrast here. Between the old and the new. The world and believers. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit kingdom of God. Now, everybody, everybody understands that. I mean, everybody in the church. We understand the people outside, unbelievers, those who rejected Christ, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to expound on that. Do not be deceived. Or, um, that can be translated, stop. Stop being deceived or stop deceiving yourselves. Now hear this, this is a, a strong warning to the Corinthian believers. Stop deceiving yourselves. Neither the sexual sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now why does Paul even go there? <laughs> because these things are going on in the congregation. It's just like we've already seen in previous chapters. He's saying, you are... You are living like people without the Spirit of God. You're living the old life. These things belong to your former life. 
And he's saying, don't you know that people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God? Strong, strong, strong warning. Let me say just a couple of quick things. This is one of the, 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 the many vice lists that we have in the New Testament that uh, helps us make some clear distinctions between um, following after the lust of the flesh versus walking by the Spirit. Let me just say a couple things real quick on these. A lot of these are self-evident. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. Sexually immoral, he's already mentioned this. Um, in chapter 5, it's, it's the word um, that we get our word pornography from. It's, it's, a, it's a general statement. All, all manner of sexual immorality I mean, could be put in that category. So, stop deceiving yourselves. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. Now, you know, idolater is somebody who worships another god, right? In place of the true god. A lot of ways uh, that could be applied. Anything that you put in God's place is an idol. Anything that you are devoted to rather than God makes... Uh, is an idol and makes you an idolater. So, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Now, that's, of course, somebody who's violating their marriage covenant. Some form of uh, uh, sexual activity. Um, and, and, and that could be a wide range, too. I mean, just to, just to make a, uh, an application for today, one of the biggest problems we have uh, among men in the United States of America, and some women, too, but among men is, is viewing pornography. That is certainly fornication falling, or sexual immorality uh, under the word, word porneo here. And would be adultery if you are married. Anything outside, any kind of sexual activity outside of the confines of your own marriage with your spouse, single spouse, um, would fall into that category nor men who practice homosexuality. There's actually two words there in the Greek. Some translations translate both of them. They describe both the active and the passive role in a homosexual act. People that do these things, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor thieves nor the greedy or covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. And again, some of these he's already mentioned in chapter 5 and he's reiterating. None of these, or all of these, he says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen, we're going to try to wrap this up here quick in these last couple of verses. Here's the then and the now. The old and the new. The before and the after. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Notice the past tense. First of all, the church is not made up of perfect people. I was talking with uh, 
some of you may kind of know what an, uh, an emerge, emerging or emergent church is. And I was, I was talking with a young person a couple years ago that attends one of these churches. And she uh, was asking me where, you know, where I was at and everything. I told her, you know, Fillmore Baptist Church. And, and uh, I don't know, the discussion went on a little bit. And, and she said, well, you know, our, our church is just different, you know. And I said, really, what? how's that? She said, well, you know, we, a lot of us, former drug addicts and, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. And I didn't, you know, I just, <laughs> okay, all right. But I'm thinking, does she think that we dropped out of heaven or something? I mean, where does she think we came from? That's not different. That's the same background. I, I look out on this group of people, and I, I don't know all of your stories, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you were conceived in sin. As soon as you got old enough, whatever age that is, it might be ten minutes, or it might be five seconds, I don't know. But whatever age that you're old enough to, for that to start being expressed outwardly, it started showing up. I mean, if you got kids, I mean, you 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 recognize pretty early that your child's a sinner. <laughs> Such were some of you, Paul says. But but notice he puts that in the past tense when they're engaging in some of these things now. That's the reason he's rebuking them. Now, a couple things there. He's not saying that's okay, obviously. I mean, this is why he's given the rebuke. They're engaging in some of these things now, and he's saying, stop it. Stop deceiving yourselves. You can't, you can't live like this and, and be a genuine child of the kingdom. People who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. He's crystal clear on this. But isn't it interesting, though, that he, that he does say... Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That is, set apart for God's use. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, the righteousness of Christ has been put to your account and you've been declared just before God so that when the last day does come, you will be presented before God pure and blameless, holy, without spot, without blemish. Yes, some of you who were adulterers, idolaters, sexually immoral. Us, in other words. Isn't that interesting? I mean, Paul, he, he, he gives this very harsh, and I, I, don't want to, I don't want to lighten up the rebuke of the Holy Spirit at all. It's strong, and I don't want to try to explain it away and say, well, you know what, he, he said people who do these things can't inherit the, the kingdom of God, but obviously he wasn't talking about us because we're saying No, he said people that do these things cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They will not. Nevertheless, as hard or as strong as that rebuke is, as Paul often does, he follows it up immediately with some words of assurance. You know what he's saying in verse 11? 
This isn't you. You're not acting like yourself. You've got an identity crisis. You're confused. You're engaging in things that are part of the old life. They belong to that life. You've got a then and you've got a now. And you're trying to live in the past. I mean, this is retro on steroids. I mean, you know, I mean some guys, you know, sometimes we, we try to get the haircut we had in high school or, you know, put the polyester shirt on, you know, and wear it out. The white belt, three inches thick, you know. Brother Carl says the best thing about the good old days is they're gone. <laughs> Say amen to that. But this is that gone crazy. I mean, he's saying you're 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 living you're you're living like you're in the past, and you can't do that. That this is not consistent with your profession of Christ. You. He's telling them, remember who you are. You, yes, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. So you've been cleansed and you've been set apart, made holy for God's own use. And you were justified. Christ bore your sin. He bore it away. He took it away and He replaced it with His own righteousness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, one final exhortation. And I have to jump way ahead here because this is how He sums it up in verse 20. So, glorify God. In your body. You see what he's saying? Live like the new man. Live consistent with who you are. That's such an encouragement, brothers and sisters, because look, uh, uh, you, you may not be, and hopefully you're not, you know, hopefully nobody here, you may not be engaging in um, visiting prostitutes, which is what's going on in Corinth. You may not be engaging in homosexuality. You may not be overtaken by covetousness. You may not be a drunkard. Hopefully, we're not any of those things. Nevertheless, we all sin, right? We all sin. We all sin, come short of the glory of God. Daily, we miss the mark. And Paul is reminding us, that's not who you are. Don't don't settle for that. Stop stop being deceived. Don't get confused about your identity and think that's me. That's just me. No, Paul says that's not you. That's not you. You're, that once was you, but that's not you now. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. So glorify God in your body. Would you stand, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. 
Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.